This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The body speaks before the mouth opens. That is a basic tenet that I use in all of my executive coaching. And when I wrote a book called The Climb to the Top, I was conscious, even though I was writing a book about communication skills, it's the nonverbal skills that I think have been underutilized by the majority of people, that have been underappreciated because nobody's talking about it. And I also wanted to come through with the recognition that mind, body, and spirit often work together. Often one of those works harder than the others and that your body can be your best friend and it can be your worst enemy. But no matter which one it is, even though your body may be failing you, the power of the mind is a lot more potent than many of us give credit. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. On Talk Radio 77 WABC, I'm Chuck Garcia. Our guest this evening is named Alyssa DeLeo. And Alyssa does a few things for a living. First thing is she is a licensed social worker. And if you looked at her LinkedIn profile, she'll also state a mental therapist. But where I know Alyssa, and what I know of her to be, because she has spoken to my students in my college teaching, is she is a body language consultant and learned the craft from a wonderful body language expert named Vanessa Edwards. Alyssa, Welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to be here. Before we get into the mind-body connection Mm -hmm. and your relationship with your mind and your body, warm us up about what you do for a living and why you chose it. Start there. Okay. Um, I think it chose me. I really feel like the profession chose me. I was... You know, in high school, I had a group of friends, and everyone seemed to always come to me with their problems. Um, And I was always the one helping everyone out of, you know, the high school challenges we all see ourselves in. And I seemed to be pretty good at it, and I liked doing it. So I thought to myself, why not make a living off of doing something that I love to do, which is helping other people? Um, So that's essentially how I started my career with... Uh, with social work. But you could have done a lot of things. Why that? I think I always had a very inquiring personality and I always just tried to figure out what drove human behavior. Why do people act the way that they act? Why do I act the way I act and engage in certain behaviors? Um, And I was able to find myself out of some pretty difficult life circumstances that I was facing in high school. And I knew if I was able to do it, I was able to help other people to do it. And I felt like it was my mission to do just that. And talk about the mission of a social worker. It's a very broad topic. I don't know. I I am ignorant to do it. I know the words. (laughs) I know a lot of people hear it. Yeah. What does a social worker do? So social work is extremely, extremely broad, but I decided to specifically take the clinical route so it's pretty close to psychology and that i'm just providing mental health treatment right now just individual counseling to students in schools and counseling being 
solving a problem, helping somebody, bring some definition and clarity to that. Right, so let's say someone comes to me and they're struggling with um, maybe instances of being bullying in the school or maybe they have tremendous anxiety or depression and they can't really seem, you know, find a way out. Um, they need that safe person, um, that person that's not going to judge them, and a little bit of guidance and hope to help them along the path to, uh, you know, ultimately find wellness and get better. And it's interesting in your positioning, Alyssa, and I've known you for several years, I, I see what jumps out at me as mental health therapist, which may be social work, mm -hmm. but it sounds like something else. And yet, in, in, in becoming a mental health therapist, you also learned the science and the art of body language, mm -hmm. and you became certified in it. And I've seen you talk about it. I've seen you teach it. Is this what social workers do, or is this something different for your path? It's different for my path. Um, I wish it was something that all social workers did do um, because it's so beneficial. So to really foster the therapeutic relationship, the client has to feel safe with a therapist for them to open up to you, for them to feel safe, and for them to ultimately heal. And I knew that for me to convey a sense of safety to them, I had to portray with my body language, because that's the majority of the communication with the client, a sense of safety. So I had to convey to them, I'm open, you can trust me, I am hearing what you're saying. And on the flip side, I knew that I had to be able to tune into their nonverbal cues because if I wasn't able to do that, I would be missing out on an entire channel of communication. So if I wasn't able to tune into that, I would be doing a disservice to myself and also to the client. And I suspect when you are in your interviews, you are speaking, there's a lot of verbal exchange. How much of it and how important are those nonverbal cues for you to help figure out your therapeutic path for your patient? Oh, it's, it's everything. Anywhere from 60 to 93% is nonverbal. Right. So when they come in, I'm looking at their body language, their facial expressions, the, the tone of their voice. I'm making sure that I'm conveying my body language in a way that's going to you know exude that they can trust me. Um, and so when you're in that room, both of you, your bodies are speaking before you even open your mouth. Absolutely. I asked that, Alyssa, because something interesting happened with you that I suspect is an irony. Because here you are, you are an expert in body language because I've seen you teach it and you're wonderful at it. Yet in your own mind and in your body, you have had a struggle that ultimately brought you onto this show. And I don't know if it's a struggle of the body, the mind, the spirit. Explain to us what you have recently faced. Okay, so um, it started in 2016 with profound fatigue. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was super active. You know, you've seen me at the gym, um, you know, very fulfilled life. I was achieving a lot, um, you know, on the path to success. And this fatigue comes along and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, I almost fainted trying to get throughout the day, the work day. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, fast forward to six months, my body completely gave out, completely. I couldn't leave my bed for weeks at a time. I was pretty much homebound for, I want to say, three to six months. 
um, and I was a shadow of myself, and I had no idea why. So I did what any other human would do. I went to doctors looking for, for answers as to why is my body failing me? Why do I have this overwhelming sense of fatigue? And so they took so much blood work, so much blood work looking for an answer. Everything came back impeccable, clean bill of health. I mean, as healthy as can be on paper, but I felt like I was 100 years old, hung over, and had just ran a triathlon. So, so there was... So they're delivering good news. Good news, Alyssa. Nothing's wrong. What was your reaction? I was terrified. Absolutely terrified because the world saw me as someone that had nothing wrong with them. My medical records showed I had nothing wrong with me, and I was physically not able to get from my bed to the shower. Um, and this actually ended up translating into pain. So Pain how? So I was able to build up a little bit of stamina in early 2017 to get back into the gym, thinking, you know, maybe the doctors are right. Maybe I, maybe I am depressed. But I, I knew I wasn't depressed because I had motivation to do things, but my body wasn't letting me. So I tried, you know, let me try and release some endorphins, like they say. Mm -hmm. um, and I injured my chest muscle um, pretty quickly. And it was like a knife was stabbing my chest. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to move. Um, anything. I was just in, in crippling pain. I felt like someone was stabbing me. So I found myself at the doctor's yet again, but this time for excruciating chest pain. They took MRIs. They did imaging. No tear. We're not really sure. Try physical therapy. I tried physical therapy. I tried acupuncture. I tried massage therapy. I tried every physical treatment modality that existed. And what about medicine? Prescriptions? So they did try and prescribe me. I, I took a muscle relaxer once, um, and I had, like, really bad adverse side effects. So never again I tossed it. And they wanted to give me um, other medicines such as Cymbalto, which is supposed to, you know, inhibit pain, um, antidepressants, and... I did get the prescriptions, but I never took them because of the side effects. Um, and my last resort to feeling better was a cortisone shot. So I'll Which was supposed to do what? Reduce the perceived inflammation that was in my chest. So I was injured for six months. Got the cortisone shot out of desperation to feel better. And they punctured my lung and my lung collapsed. So I needed a chest tube. So now I have this profound pain and this chest pain, which then turned into widespread chronic pain from my head to my toe. I received the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, and doctors tell me, we don't really know what causes this, but it's going to have to be something that you just manage forever through medication and lifestyle. And I... It was the worst day of, of my life, um, but I wasn't going to accept that as an answer. Why not? Because I knew that that healthy girl inside of me was still there, and I knew I was able to rescue her. I didn't know how. I knew doctors didn't know how to help her, 
but I knew that there was a way for her out. If they didn't know the cause of what was going on, who were they to tell me that it was something I would have to live with forever? Well, it sounds like there wasn't even anything to even to treat the symptom other than a, a painkiller, a, a muscle relaxer, mm -hmm. or whatever that may be. Right. Treat the symptom. Was anybody helping you with treating the cause? Or there's no clue as to what it was. So, yeah, the, the problem was no one ever looked beneath the symptoms. No one. And what surprised me was that the doctors didn't even approach it with a sense of curiosity. They're just like, we don't know what causes it. You know, you're just going to have to manage it. Here's a medication. Here's a medication. I, you know, I never took them. Um, so I myself had to take my health into my own hands and figure out what the true root cause of this pain really was. You are listening to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia. My guest this evening is Alyssa DeLeo. Alyssa, Alyssa let's pick up on that. You are hearing all kinds of things that is not helping you in any constructive way. Mm -hmm. You're feeling terrible, exhausted, fatigued, not depressed, because I think you know the symptoms being a your mental therapist. Yes. I think you could recognize that yes. even in yourself. Mm -hmm. You hit rock bottom. Yeah. What did you do? to say, okay, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I have to take my health into my own hands. What you knew about body language, did this help you to determine your prescriptive path? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I had to take my health into my own hands and I knew that Western medicine wasn't helping me. So I had to start thinking outside of the box. And I had to take a really hard, honest look at my life and what was going on in my life when these symptoms started to manifest. And to be honest, I was in a relationship that was unhappy. I was very unhappy. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of emotional pain. And on top of that, I was being very hard on myself. You know, I always had this feeling of I'm not good enough. I need to be doing more. I was criticizing myself. My expectations were up here and I came to realize through a book that I read by Dr. John Sarno called Healing Back Pain that our brain can't differentiate an emotional threat versus a physical threat. So when you get injured, your brain sends a signal to um, create pain so that you don't further injure yourself. That same mechanism in the brain, the danger response, gets activated when you feel emotionally unsafe. And I felt very emotionally unsafe, and my brain was interpreting that as she's in danger, pain. Right. Why did you read a book about back pain? So the book wasn't generalized to just back pain. It was pain overall. But um, And it I take it you were doing this just in, in your discovery, searching for your answers. That was one of the things in the catalog? Yes. Yeah, so, so I actually, to backtrack a little bit, I typed into Google repressed anger and chronic pain because mm -hmm. I started to realize that maybe this repressed anger that I was feeling because of the circumstances I was in had something to do with my physical symptoms. Right. But I wasn't ready to do anything about it because if I did something about it and I felt my feelings, I would have to take action on certain areas in my life. And I wasn't ready to do that yet. Because of fear or because of the unknown? Yes, absolutely. All right. Mm -hmm. Walk us through this then. Here you are. 
Yes. What okay. did you do? How'd you do it? Okay. So my, my first step was understanding with every ounce of my being, there was nothing physically wrong with my body. I felt physically horrible, but the genesis of what was going on was rooted in emotion. And that was hard for me to wrap my head around at first, but the more I read about it, the more I really understood that this is true. And I recognized that I was so afraid of my symptoms and the future and how am I gonna get through the day that this fear was actually perpetuating the cycle of pain I was in because the fear was instilling to my brain, which was already so afraid, yeah, danger, danger, she's afraid. So the more afraid I was of my symptoms, the stronger that neural pathway was to keep me in pain. So I had to change my relationship with the fear surrounding the pain to start to make changes. And is this activated by the brain, the heart, both? What are you fighting here? Really, it's, I, I think it's a combination, but the root of this is in the nervous system. It's in the amygdala in the brain, the right. fear response, the danger response. Right, it's but fight, it, fight or flight. Yes, that, that's precisely, right. precisely. And, okay, then this is captivating because so many people that I know describe that they're, they're at this place but seem as desperate or even ignorant to know what do I do about this? I'm always feeling like crap. Mm -hmm. You had to either retake control of the amygdala or you had to change the emotion. That's where the variables were here. Do I have that right? Yeah, so I had to make my amygdala and you know, essentially the primitive part of my brain feel safe again. Got it. How'd you do that? Okay, so I did that by stopping everything I was doing physically to heal myself. I stopped using ice packs, heating pads, physical therapy, massage therapy, because that was reinstilling to my brain, there's something physically wrong with you. So I stopped that cold turkey. I stopped talking about my pain. It, I told my family and friends, don't even bring the word pain up. You know, my, it's, you know. <laughs> it's not there. It's not, it's right. not We're there not anymore. talking about it. It doesn't live here. Yeah. So um, then I, I faced a new fear pain every single week. So I went back to the gym despite being in pain. And I didn't notice too much difference at first, but I'll never forget going through a leg workout. Started off that really uncomfortable sensation of pain, burning, stabbing in my right thigh. I finished my workout anyway while telling my brain, there's nothing physically wrong here. This is simply a learned neural pathway. And I have to go through this workout and make you feel uncomfortable for you to unlearn this. And by the end of that workout, the pain in my leg dissipated, and I knew that this was 100% mind-body. And then every single week, I faced a new uh, challenge surrounding fear. And was this a continued cycle with each week you were retraining the brain about that particular response? Yes. Yep. One week it was legs or something else. It was chest. Is, do I have that right? Yeah. So, I would, so because it affected different parts of my body, what I would try and do is, you know, one workout, I would focus on getting through a leg workout and my pain would dissipate. Then I would maybe box to face my chest pain. 
Um, and then maybe I would start typing a little bit more to face my wrist pain because I could no longer type at that point. Mm. Um, so each week it was something different. And within five months, my pain was completely gone. Did that happen in a moment or was that just a culmination of time? A culmination of time. So at some point after those four or five months, wow, I'm feeling good. Were you your old self? And back in the gym and doing all the things that you did before all of this began? Now I am. Right. Now I am. I want to say, so within five months, my pain completely dissipated, but it took about one full year for my brain to feel safe enough to engage in all the activities I engaged in prior to sickness. It sounds like from the conclusion that I'm trying to draw from here, the very brain that, let's blame the brain for getting you sick, is the same brain that figured out how to help you heal. Because what I said at the introduction is your body can be your best friend and your worst enemy. Mm -hmm. I lost both my parents to cancer and I watched their bodies just dissipate to nothing. The same body that brought the wonderful sensations of being human are the same thing that killed them. They could no longer fight it. I'm not saying it's akin to cancer, but I don't know what it feels like to, to, do, to have what you had, but it feels like just a, a, a terminal disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So your brain then is doing the healing, but there wasn't any physician or health practitioner around the world that provided this prescription. What do we tell our listeners when they're facing this? I think the listeners need to, need to create their own prescription because doctors' prescriptions don't get to the root cause. The root cause to a physical problem is almost always rooted in rooted in emotion. Right. You know, because if the body, if you can heal the bot, if you can heal the mind, then you can heal. Then you can heal the body. But that's not what we're taught. No, we're not taught that, and we're also not taught so often that these physical sensations that we experience, that are so medically mysterious, are often messengers. They're messengers from our soul. They're messengers of love to try and help us transform and to evolve and to be the best person that we can be. So I see this all as a lesson. I thought it was the worst thing that could have ever possibly happened to me. I was in so much despair. And I'm so grateful that this happened to me now because it forced me to create massive changes in my life and take massive action and change my relationship with myself. So I like who I am now, and I feel so much more happy, fulfilled, and safe. But if anybody were to Google, if they were having the same symptoms, there's, there's not an Alyssa book out there, is there? Not yet. Not yet. Because <laughs> um, what, what, what is so frustrating here, and I'm delighted for, for, your, for your change and transformation, is for so many people that are on potentially the same path, they didn't have your training, they were not mental therapists, they didn't have the body language training, you had a certain advantage, but that's what we want to leave our listeners with. So in the time that's remaining, what I'd like you to do is to talk to our, our audience about their calls to action if ever they find themselves in similar positions. And I recognize your situation may be a different nuances to others. Let's leave them with some calls to actions. Okay. When it comes to your mental and physical health, what do you want our listeners to think about them taking control of their lives? I would say take more power back. Don't give so much power to a physician. I know they're great and I know they can help with emergencies and things like trauma, 
but when it comes to random you know ailments aches and pains they're really not educated that that much on that and what's really going on and i think oftentimes we need to start looking internally opposed to externally we want that immediate fix that instant gratification to feel better right away but you know it, it just doesn't happen that way and it won't happen that way the answers are inside of us in here we just have to be brave enough to to listen to um, our intuition which i like to think of as our symptoms whatever health adversity we, we might be going through and actually take action. We know what we need to do to feel better. Our right. intuition tells us that. We just have to be brave enough to actually do it and love ourselves enough to actually do it. Yeah, actually, I, I wanna end on that, and that's an important point because sometimes even you, Alyssa, when you were speaking earlier, you said I toughest person to forgive for all the things that you had was my, ourselves. How do you help somebody to look into that mirror and remove the fear when what they may do if they follow your prescription is contrary to everything that they've ever been taught and that they read and that they see on television. They really have to believe 100% that they can heal, that their body is able to, we all have the ability to self-heal and that they deserve it. But they have to believe it. If you don't believe it, your brain's not gonna believe it and you're gonna be stuck in that state of fear. Well, it starts with the faith yes, in yourself. Absolutely. But what I also know, and for you and I that are health practitioners, we know that you know, let medicine be thy food. Let, let food be thy medicine. Let medicine be thy food. And I think what is the most underestimated thing that I see is nutrition. Talk about it. In fact, I want you to end here. What do we want them to do? I want you to talk about their nutritional healing. Okay. Because what, so far what you've talked about is very mindful, and I get it. Mm -hmm. But we have many eating events throughout the week. And I think, I believe people don't quite appreciate the healing power of nutrition. Mm -hmm. but, but let's leave our listeners with that. So what do we want them to do? Speak about the power of that and how it integrates to the mind and the body. Okay, yeah. So um, nutrition also played a huge role in my healing. It wasn't just my thoughts and it wasn't just fears, but I changed my whole diet because... If you eat something that's unhealthy, you're almost disrespecting your body. That's not coming from a place of love. So I started eating from a place of love. I am eating this apple instead of this cheesecake because I love myself and I know it's going to fuel not only my body, but my brain too. So I started looking at food as a way to fuel myself um, and my brain to help you know, guide me towards healing as well. And not eat foods that cause inflammation in the body you know, like sugar, alcohol, caffeine makes you more anxious. No, I get all of that. Well, Alyssa, I wish we had had another hour. And unfortunately, <laughs> we do have to come to an end. Where can people find you for those that may want advice? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. And and spell your name. There, there's interpretations to it. Um, oh. To how you spell Alyssa and how you spell Dylan. Okay. Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A-D-I-L-E-O. Okay. Thank you. I want to make that clear because sometimes it's frustrating. To all of our listeners out there, I hope that you have taken the insights and the wisdom that Alyssa has communicated here today. Alyssa, I thank you for your contribution. This is wonderful because so many people struggle with this. And to everyone that is listening, thank you for tuning in to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia. Good night.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.